This episode of Shameless is brought to you by Thank You. Be part of the solution to end global poverty. Personally, it was yeah definitely the most challenging time in my life without a doubt. I felt like a complete failure every single day. There were most days I didn't want to get out of bed. I had to haul my ass out of bed. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. Today on the show, we have the inimitable Emma Isaacs. Emma is a serial entrepreneur. She's the global CEO of Business Chicks, Australia's largest business community for women. And last year, she published her first book, Winging It. We sat down with Emma in our tiny makeshift studio at Zara's house to chat all things success, failure, and building brands. Here's Emma. Emma, welcome to Shameless In Conversation. It's we're good to be here. We're so excited to have you. <laughs> I um, read your book last year and I know that Zara and I, we went to the Business Chicks event mm. last year as well yeah. when you guys came to Melbourne and we have been massive fans of you guys for ages. So oh, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, huge fans. And also like mildly embarrassed that you're sitting in my, <laughs> my parents' front room recording <laughs> I this. I love this. This is <laughs> amazing. Melbourne, suburban <laughs> Melbourne. But we are so happy to have you. Emma, we start every episode in the same way and that is to ask you, is there anything you're reading, watching, listening to at the moment that you would recommend to other women listening <laughs> i mean do you have time to, to be really <laughs> honest i mean my literary repertoire at the moment sort of ranges from somewhere between where is the green sheep to the gruffalo i mean <laughs> it's just it's you know it's it's really life is full on i've got these four little sorry five little humans in my household that range from 10 down to one and i'm traveling a bunch and and working so yeah time is just i get to kind of nine o'clock at night and i'm like my husband binges on um, a Netflix series, so I'll catch the last two minutes of that. But I'm like, I just need sleep, sleep and more sleep. So When you're on a plane, do you tend to work? Do you tend to try and use that as like a meditative time? Because yeah. I imagine you spend a bunch of time on planes. Yeah, again, it's all about sleep. Like I just yeah. try and get as much sleep as possible. But I try and think – I come back to Australia. I live in LA. I come back to Australia six or seven times a year. And I just try and think of that flight like it's uh, – two meals, a movie and a sleep. And that's how I spend my time. And occasionally I'll get my laptop out, but really it's, I mean, 15 uninterrupted hours on a plane is like bliss to me. So yeah, it's me time. Yeah, that's what yeah. makes me terrified to be a mother. A pla- <laughs> like an overseas plane flight would be like amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that's as good as it gets. And then like a night in a hotel room, you're like, this is it. I have just made it. <laughs> I feel like we're not ready, Michelle. We're so not ready. What were you like as a kid? Did you always seem to have a kind of drive that separated you from everybody else, even when you were young? Because yeah. you were the eldest of three, right? Just three. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was always the black sheep of the family. Um, yeah, I think I was just kind of born a leader. Um, I don't know why my parents really encouraged me to do whatever I wanted to do. Um, I was very kind of bossy. And yeah, I mean, I was just one of those kids who tended to try everything and anything. And um, yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, get more fearful as we get older. So certainly as a child, I was, I was very, very fearless and, and tried a lot of stuff. And I, I came from quite a a very sheltered, beautiful childhood, but quite a sheltered childhood. And we, my family were quite religious. So we go to church every single Sunday. And, you know, for me, it was, um, 
you know, I was always searching for something and looking for something and church and that kind of construct was never for me. So, um, you know, I go there every Sunday and listen to the service and be so uninspired and, and, you know, I've always believed in something higher and bigger and still completely attached to that. But for me, that construct of the man-made kind of religion wasn't for me. So I was always searching for something more, you know, and yeah, I I suppose I wanted to break out from from where I started and, and look for something more and yeah. Reading your book, that entrepreneurial spirit seemed like it was just ingrained within you from a really young age. You bought your first car at 15, was it? You bought your yeah. first property before you turned 20. I was 19, yeah. What was it about, I guess, financial independence and striving to save money and make money? Where did that come from? Was that something that your parent put into you or was that something that was just natural? No, it was something that I just discovered, I suppose, in my teenage years. I was always reading a ton of books and trying to go to as many courses and, and just picking the brains of people who were unlike me, right? And I think that's what you, you know, you can either take the path of staying in a suburban you know, kind of mold that you were brought into or you can search and seek outwardly. And so I just would try and find people who had done stuff, you know, whether that was through work experience or my parents' friends. And I was always just the kid to sit there and ask a hundred questions. And yeah, I just, I just suppose I was really curious as to what else was out there. And I wanted to be the first at everything. I'm very, very competitive in nature. So um, yeah, I bought my first car when I was 15. And, and that was just because I knew I wanted to have independence and I wanted to have freedom, but I'm not sure what the origin of that was. It wasn't as if my parents really encouraged me, um, you know, to do those things. But it was just something innately that was in me and really important to do. And I was going to say, it sounds a lot like nature rather than nurture when you're talking about it yeah, like that. Yeah, I think I think it is. And I think that's something like when you talked about being scared about being a parent. I, and I think I talk about it in Winging It, actually. It's like you, you have to ease into parenting because you are there to guide and lead these little crazy humans. But kind of how they come out is how they're going to end up. You know, like I can tell you my kids all have different personalities and we joke all the time about what they're going to become. And I bet you we're going to get it mostly right because, you know, you, you, you can't do much more than be a role model for them, make sure they feel completely attached and secure and safe. Um, and, you know, the rest is... I believe, like 99% nature. At 18, was it? Is that when you bought into your first company? Yeah, it was a was recruitment 18. company? Yeah, I just dropped out of uni, yep. So what kind of 18-year-old starts working in a recruitment company and works their way up at that age to try and buy into it? Because I can't even think of anyone, A, at 18, understanding what that even means or B, having the money to do it. I didn't understand what it meant and I had no money and it wasn't really about that. And we were talking just before we started, you know, I think the naivety is a beautiful thing. You know, when you don't know what you're doing, you should embrace that and just, you know, it's about trying to find the self-confidence to just put, you know, one foot in front of the other and go for it. So it wasn't as if I thought, oh, I'm 18 and where am I going to get the money and how am I going to find the confidence to do this? I just, you know, there was circumstance in front of me and I just went for it. Um, You know, I had a little bit of savings and and, you know, struck a deal with the girl who'd started the recruitment company to say, okay, I'm not going to make any commission. I'm going to work on like the lowest salary ever. And, you know, we're going to build this thing together. And that's what kind of happened. So it was, it was different back then. It wasn't, you know, I don't, I mean, I'm, I just turned 40. So we're going on, you know, 22 years ago now. And, and you, we just didn't have the same access to information, right? So now, you know, what we can find on the internet and who we can look up to. I just had, I had no compass to, to guide me. So I was just driven by, okay, well, I'll do what feels right. I'll give it a go. And I didn't really give it much more thought than that. Would you describe yourself as fearless? Because that's something that reading a book and listening to you on different podcasts and listening to you on Seize the Yo as well, you seem fearless when you pursue something. Is that accurate? Nah, no, I'm not. No, I'm not at all. I, I definitely get scared and I definitely feel fear. I just feel like I've kind of developed 
um, what would you say, the habit of talking myself into stuff, you know, really um, trying to ask myself what's the worst that could happen here. And, and like, it's funny, people say, oh, winging it is just, oh, oh, you're encouraging everyone to just throw the book out and not have a plan. And that's not what I'm saying at all. It's just about winging it to me really is about having the self-confidence and having, you know, the foundation to be able to try new things and move forward and trust life. Like, I know that sounds a little bit woo-woo, but it's like, you know, we've all got to just be able to trust the process and trust life. And if it doesn't work out, it wasn't meant for you. And that's great. Move on. It reminds me of, we listened to a podcast called How I Built This. Do you yeah, listen to yeah, that Yeah, it's one? great. Yeah. And I remember before we even started this business, I always thought to myself, I don't have the personality to run my own business because I would listen, to these, the because I would listen to these people talk. Yeah. And at every any given point in the interview, there would always be a point where they either needed to risk it all or, you know, like really back themselves and make a huge yeah. risk to push forward. And I was like, I think if I was put in that scenario, I wouldn't be able to make that risk and then you talk to people like you and you realize there's an element of risk but it's also a calculated risk like there's so much thought that clearly goes into that fearlessness Mm. that means that it's kind of not as big of a risk as it might seem is that what it is like for you that there are so many things going on behind the scenes no absolutely and and look I've never been put into into a position where I've had to risk it all um, and put put it all on the line Um, and certainly as you go through your careers and you guys will find this as you build your business you know the stakes get higher you have more to lose and you will have to think about whether it's worth you know, a shot to try whatever it is you want to try. So yeah, for me, it's absolutely calculated. And I do a lot of stuff on how things feel. And I'm not willing to risk it all right now. You know, I've, I've built a really great business. My family is super important to me. So I would never do anything that's reckless and completely silly and throw it all out. But yeah, I think if I think if you study any great entrepreneurs um, of our time or, or before, you'll find that they tend to be bold and, you know, calculated what risks they take, but they're ultimately willing to, to go there and have a try. So at 26, you buy business chicks. And Mm. I think at the time I had a few hundred members. Yeah, 250 or so. What did you see in the company that you thought, you know what, this is going to be something big and I can take it to where it needs to be? Well, it wasn't even really a company back then. It was, it was, it was um, uh, started by a charity. So it was just kind of a gathering of women that would get together a couple of times a year. So I didn't see much into the future apart from this is cool. Like this is, there's something going on here. There's something that's very different and unique and even to this day, what, like 14 years on, we struggle to articulate what it is about Business Chicks that makes it really special because it is it is special. So I don't think I saw anything. I think I felt something and I just felt that I could turn it into something better. That's all I really experienced with that. And I was at a point in my first business where I was thinking about what was next and it just was a great kind of solution to a question that was in front of me and... Yeah, I just went for it. It's pretty incredible. I feel like women-led businesses are having a real moment at the moment. It's very trendy to be at the forefront of a women-led business. You did that over a decade ago. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. There are a ton of women-led businesses, which is fantastic. We should have more female leaders. We should have more women starting businesses and running businesses and controlling their own businesses. And we have a lot of women, you know, communities, female communities and uh, women-led organizations. And that's fantastic. And I encourage that. But we were doing that before it was kind of a thing. And I, I love that because I think it shows where our heart is and what's important to us. You know, we weren't doing it for the money back then. We were doing it because it felt right and we love women and we wanted to bring women together and we still feel that way, you know, today. So, but yeah, I mean, what what can I say? It's an exciting time for women and we need more of it and it's really awesome to see the airtime and 
I mean, I love it. It's a great time to be a female in business. I read last year, I think it might have been when you were on a sort of book publicity tour and you did an interview with Women's Agenda and you were talking about having bought Business Chicks, but before having bought it, you were immediately insulted by the name of the company. Can you walk us through that? Yeah. Were you insulted by the name? Yeah, yeah, sure I was. And, you know, I mean, I'm an absolute feminist at heart, as we all are, and I'm sure all your listeners are, and on yeah just of course the name grated and I thought that didn't feel right but I mean I had a brand is so much more than a name and you know as I came to learn about the brand and and ultimately buy it and and grow it I realized that you know it, it did it was worth something it had some equity in the name and people like it or love it remembered it and it actually stands for who we are as people as well. I mean, in, in terms of being a little bit, you know, irreverent and cheeky and we don't take ourselves too seriously. We are absolutely feminist to the core and we get accused at times that our brand of feminism is is soft or, um, you know, and, and I've always led my life, you know, what's that saying? Uh, Gandhi said it, you know, in a gentle way, you can shake the world. And that's our brand of feminism. You know, we're all about empowerment for women and girls. And, you know, if you think that's soft, you know, I, I mean, I know that it works. I know that our members have, even today, um, I woke up to a Facebook post. Someone said that they read Winging It and she loved it and she became a member immediately. And then she spent the last uh, seven months, you know, really elevating herself in her nine to five job. She said she started a side hustle and just bought her first property, you know, and I'm like, if that's, if that's soft feminism, then, you know, I'm all for that. You know, our brand is about how do we empower people? How do we individually affect and impact women one at a time? And I think that's got a lot of power and weight in it. How does that make you feel when people say it is? it might be soft feminism? Do you find it insulting when you feel like you're trying to do good or do you have to block it out? Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it hurts for a moment, but I think Business Chicks is one of these things and, and the name story is a great way to illustrate that. People don't understand us and people don't know what it is and they take us at face value and it's a lot of depth to our organisation. There's a lot of depth to the people who are behind it. There's a lot of depth to the care that our team have and our leadership have and most of our work is completely silent and invisible and you won't hear about it right so we do these you know really well produced beautiful events which we make about 35 percent of our revenues from so it's still a minority revenue stream for us but that's where people experience the brand and experience that you know the kind of would you say like it's a show right it's what you're really known for it's what we're known for but it's not who we are right and the work that we do behind the scenes is so very different to that so we're often funding women in and out of businesses we are um, connecting people every single day we are mentoring people we're there for our members in their time of need. Like there's so much stuff that we do that we don't talk about and we don't necessarily want to talk about it because it's, it's you know, it doesn't really it's, – it's private and it's for us and those experiences um, don't always need to be shared. Yeah, and it's special. Can you run us through – there was a piece in the AFR last year mm-hmm. about you guys including cleaning products in one of your event goodie bags. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That caused, and it was in our Facebook group as well, where lots of people uh, tossed this idea back and forth of having cleaning products in a business chick's goodie bag. How did you feel about it? What was the decision behind that? And how did you feel about the piece? Because it was a very strongly worded story. uh, Yeah, look, I I heard about it. I didn't read the piece because I tend not to read media. Uh, The journalist that wrote the piece had written a piece in the exact same week the year before around International Women's Day because we'd partnered with Barbie. So she attacked us for that. Look, it's probably 
was am I allowed to swear? Yes. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it probably was a fuck up on our behalf to be honest. I mean, um, you know, again if you take that one incident in isolation and you run with that as as was the case you know, I mean, we are not for one second advocating that women should clean their houses. I mean, I'm sure the thought process, I didn't know about it until, you know, after the fact. And I thought, yeah, okay, shit, it probably was a big mistake to do that. But then again, you know, like I clean, you guys clean. I'm always got a spray and wipe or whatever in my hand, wiping down sticky benches. Like, great, you're going to give me a $10 cleaning product. Totally fine. But in isolation, I totally get that that could be seen as us making, um, you know, the wrong decision. But, you know, what was funny about that was, in the exact same week, it was around International Women's Day and we'd had all these incredible events. We'd raised $60,000 for charity in that very, very week. We had had, you know, a huge diversity of speakers on our stage from, you know, women who were in their 70s through to um, Muslim women spoke for us. Like we, we just, we, we really care about representing all women and we, you know, even we really try and be a brand that's completely conscious and awake and trying to be better. We run a work experience program in our office every single week with special needs um, teenage girls who come in and, and we find tasks for them. You know, we try and have really try and think about our environmental impact and do a whole heap of stuff around that. So, you know, we are a brand and a company that cares deeply. So, yep, did we get it wrong? We probably did. But, you know, they only talk about the little thing that we did wrong, you know. right. We say this a bit, and because we've worked in women's media and we've worked sort of in, in companies that have said that they've stood for something our entire careers, we've always had this back and forth between each other saying the minute you stand for something... It's kind of like people expect you to stand for everything and the bar is so much higher that there's so much further to fall and that doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean that you can fall back on that and make excuses all the time. But I Mm. always feel... I guess a bit more stressed because it feels like you've got so much further to fall. Well, I feel like, and I wonder if you'll agree with this, Emma, I feel like women-led companies are held to a different standard than male-led companies. Yeah, I 100% uh, agree with that. I think there's probably nothing wrong with that. I actually love the conversation. I love the accountability. I love the discussion. I want to be better. We all want to be better. And I, I love that. I'm all for that. I'm not for... I suppose, how do I say this? Like inequity in um, picking out the things that have been done wrong. You know, if someone is, you know, we had this situation with a woman who we published a a cover of a magazine. We we published our own uh, magazine called Latte and, you know, the cover probably wasn't as diverse as it could have been. You know, we we had one woman of colour and we probably had, we had one woman of um, limited ability, but we probably could have done better. And we did have a Muslim woman who was booked into the shoot and she pulled out that day. So it didn't all go to plan, you know. And this woman attacked us for this situation, you know, and it's it's exactly the same as what we've just spoken about with the cleaning product. She's not looking at all the other latte covers we've run where we've represented so many diverse women. You know, she's only looking at that one mess up that we made. And, yeah, I get it. And I think it's the same with, with my business. You know, people have very, very high expectations of us. They see that we lift the bar and we continue to raise it. And it's a it's a long way to fall. And, you know, I, I it's a double-edged sword because I love that accountability. But it's also we should lighten up and say we're all going to mess up and we're all going to make mistakes. And let's try kind of focus on on the good and not worry about the fucking cleaning product. (laughs) (laughs) It's helpful. Coming up after the break, Emma talks about her worst year on the job. But first, a word from our sponsors. 
Mish, we've worked with Thank You for a long time now because there's nothing we love more than a company where 100% of their profits go to ending global poverty. Absolutely. And a company with bloody amazing products too. Can we please talk about their newest collaboration with Sage and Claire? For those who aren't across who Sage and Claire are, they design homewares and accessories that are handcrafted and so beautifully eclectic. You might know them, Zara, by their colourful prints and nudie Rudy bath mats. This collaboration is a match made in heaven. Thank you and Sage and Claire have created the most beautiful hand wash bottles I have ever seen, I think. How amazing are they? The design teams work together to come up with a label that draws inspiration from the gardens of Morocco. And there's a little bit of Mediterranean summer inspiration there too. And it's not just about the beautiful designs, Michelle. The fragrance of the hand wash, it's a botanical aloe vera and lemon oil, basically smells like a European summer vacation. Zara, everyone needs hand wash and everyone loves beautiful homewares. So you combine the two and what you get is a product that can change the world. Thank you, Believe in a World, where everyone, no matter where you're born or what you're born into, has access to basic human rights like clean water, sanitation and healthcare. By collaborating with Sage and Claire on the botanical aloe vera and lemon oil hand wash, they're empowering customers to choose a world without poverty and have a beautiful home while they do. The new Thank You collaboration with Sage and Claire is now available in Coles and Woolworths. Find out more at www.thankyou.co slash sage dash and dash Claire. Thank you so much to Thank You for sponsoring this episode of Shameless and for making the world a little bit better just by existing. <laughs> it does feel like a positive attitude is ingrained in everything that Business Chicks does. How do you think your employees would describe you? What kind of boss are you? Oh, you know, it's it's hard. I'm a little bit kind of removed from the Aussie businesses day because I made the choice to yeah move to the States like four years ago now. I, I think they would say... I mean, I, I hope they'd say I'm a great leader. I, I know I put a CEO into the business four years ago. She's a much better CEO than I could ever be. I, I'm i kind of a creative whirlwind. You know, I like to come in, uh, present ideas, have them land how they will and, and then have other people execute. So, But I think they'd say I'm kind. I think they'd say I'm kind of unexpected at times. I hope they'd say I'm down to earth. This is a super awkward question. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess the reason that I'm interested is – would your friends describe you in the same way your employees would? Yeah. Yeah, they would. They would. I think I think they would say that I can be very, very tough. And, and, and how I would define tough is that I expect a level of excellence. Like I really do want us all to do our best at all times. I'm the first one to say we could have done better there, you know, and I'm someone I don't shy away from having those conversations. Um, I know that can be confusing for people at times and it can be misunderstood at times, but I think they'd say I'm a really, really kind and fair leader, but I can be very tough because I want us all to do, to improve, right? And get better. You kind of have to be though, right? I think so. You seem to be very anti-micromanaging. Why is that? Why do you not like micromanagement? Oh, it's just on my style anyway. I find it completely boring and I think, <laughs> don't you reckon? Oh, I mean, you... I've had micromanagers in the past. Have you? As, as an employee. Oh my God, it, it's, it, it does not get the best out of anybody. It's crippling. Yeah. It's, um, I just, makes no sense to me. It's completely counterintuitive. So yeah, I mean, my style of leadership is just to kind of, yep, yeah, give a task and let the person go away and, and do their best and you kind of find that then people are attracted to that, right? So if you want to work in an environment where you have a complete guidebook or a playbook for how things are going to go, it's probably not the 
uh, environment for you. So, yeah, I just – I'm not into micromanaging. It's probably been a while since you did hiring as well, I'm guessing. You probably don't handle the day-to-day hiring in the company. Not the day-to-day, but yeah. yeah. What did you used to look for or what do you still look for in employees? Say there are young women listening to this who would love to work for business chicks or would love to work for other companies like yours. What do you look for in young women? You know what I think is lacking these days? This is not to take a hit at millennials. but it's <laughs> Go <a> for <laughs> it. We cop it enough, so go for it. Okay, snowflakes, <laughs> listen up. <laughs> Totally. I just think it, it comes down to respect, right? And I'm not saying like respect your elders or it's it's just about having a, a respect for the people who have gone before you and a respect for, you know, some level of process and I don't know. I don't know how to articulate that any better. But it's, Is it kind of knowing your place a little bit? It is. It is. It is, you know, and, and it's it's always hard to kind of balance that because you want people who want to feel comfortable giving forward ideas and, and I don't I want a place where every single person feels comfy putting out their hand and going, That sucks or I've got a better way to look at this or whatever. But it is there is also a le- an element of, you know, if your leader says, Okay, cool, we're gonna do this and you know, it's probably you've got to pick your battles and say, yep, cool, I'm on it, let's go, let's get that done. So I, I think, and I don't know how to train for that. I don't know how to teach young people that, you know, when to step in and when to step out. But I think it comes back to having a baseline of respect and, and yeah. I wonder if that comes back to people our age, Zara, have always had a platform online where their voice is valued Everywhere they For want to sure. put it. Yeah, We've had Tumblr blogs, a Twitter, right. an Instagram. Wherever we want to put our opinions, they are valid and they're going to get eyeballs on them. Yeah. I wonder if that means that when we go into the workplace, it's like my opinions are very worthwhile and everyone should listen to them. Yeah, 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 it's true. And I, look, it takes a whole heap of flexing on the part of the um, manager or employer as well because we've got to work out. It's so funny. I feel so old. <laughs> you guys, I mean, I'm not that ancient. <laughs> um, but, you know, like we, we have a relatively young workforce. You know, I mean, a lot of the people that work with me have grown up with me. They started when they're in their early 20s and they're still with me, you know, 10, 12 years later. So we've kind of grown up together and that's been really beautiful. And, you know, they are not – People who have been in sort of my direct orbit and we've worked very, very closely together, I, um, even though they're quite young, I, I, they're very different to the traditional millennial who will walk into your business and say, okay, this is how it needs to be done and with no respect. Yeah, of course. I wanted to also ask you about the glorification of entrepreneurship. I think you wrote about it in a piece for Smart Company and it's something that I feel like has been festering for a little while. Maybe it's because of Instagram where it feels like everybody right. can do their own thing and they're very public about being able to do their own thing. But why do you think we glorify entrepreneurship? Like why do you think we pretend it's more glamorous than it is? Because it's not. I think because we mainly hear the stories of successful companies who have sold in the billions of dollars. I think um, you know that, that's newsworthy. That's completely newsworthy to talk about though success stories but they are one in a million Um, I mean there's there's nothing wrong with entrepreneurship in terms of uh, I mean it's the best job in the world to be able to you know build your own day and and be in control of your own destiny it's fantastic it should be glorified to a point but I think we need to hear more stories more real stories as well of of when people have failed and what they've learned And, and there is a culture of that developing more and more and more but yeah, I just think it's people need to understand what the daily grind is like and what it's really about and what it's going to take. And everything always costs two or three times the amount you think and takes four there or five times There are so many hidden costs. <laughs> I know. That is something we learned quite early on. We were like, oh my fucking God, it costs we a lot not. of money yeah. to set up a it company. Does. Of course it does. Absolutely. One of the 
darker points or I guess the more difficult points of the Business Chicks journey was when you guys tried to launch in the US yeah. and you tried for a few years and then you yeah. put it on ice for a yeah. while. Can you walk us through that time? How did that feel as the global CEO and what did it teach you about yourself? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely um, the hardest kind of three or four years of my life. I mean, moving to a new country as it is is, is really quite a feat and I had four young kids at the time so to kind of acclimate them and you know kind of settle them in took at least 18 months and I was trying to do that whilst my I think my fourth child was like six months or so and I was still not sleeping with that and yeah it was really really challenging and I had this push and pull of having put a leadership team into the Australian business so that I could move to the US and their role was to keep the Australian business profitable and thriving and growing but I was hemorrhaging cash out of there to try and do what I wanted to do in the States so personally it was yeah definitely the most challenging time in my life without a doubt I felt like a complete failure every single day there were most days I didn't want to get out of bed I had to haul my ass out of bed you know, I, I learn a lot. I work with a coach or a therapist every single week. And so I learned to lean on a lot of people. I learned to talk about it. I learned to ask for help. And ultimately, I learned how to, yeah, how to deal with completely failing at something. And it's taken me this long to kind of be really proud of that. And I will say that in Australia, we don't like to fail and there's a complete stigma around it. But in the US, they high five you. (laughs) (laughs) You go, girl. (laughs) And I love it. Um, But yeah, I feel like I'm healed from it now. And I also feel like I have a different level of energy and I'm kind of ready to go in whatever iteration that will look like yeah of course it completely sucked it was um it was naive to think that I could just um pick up a company and drop it in a new you know country and I was completely underfunded I probably should have got a lot more financial sense when we we burned through so much cash it's not even funny um but yeah I mean I ultimately learned a lot about business and I learned a lot about myself how do you decide to put it on ice like what is that decision like is it hard to acknowledge and say to yourself, you know what, this isn't working and we need to put the brakes on. Yeah. Especially for a competitive person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was super tough. I mean, again, I took counsel from a bunch of different people and ultimately it kind of came down to my CEO having a very, very tough conversation with me saying, you like, you just have to, you have to put this on pause for the moment. Like we cannot do this. We cannot do what you've asked us to do if you continue this way. So I, you know, again, it's about respecting what she needed and I listened to her and it killed me and I did it. There was another piece that you, I think you were interviewed for Stella magazine last year. And there was this quote that stuck out to me where you said, and I can't remember if they were paraphrasing or if it was a direct quote, but it was something like, I feel like it's uncool to admit that you work hard now because I feel like the question that is always put to you is about balance. Like how do you balance your life because you have all these kids and these amazing jobs. But that really stuck out to me because I really genuinely agreed. It is not cool to admit that you don't have any balance. Do you find it sort of empowering to just own that? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I grew up you know, starting this company, well, starting my first company when I was 18. So it's all I knew. All I knew was working and being an entrepreneur. And then I tried to fit all the babies in and somehow it's kind of worked out. Um, And yeah, I I mean, I think, I think it's, it's a funny time in that people are so hell bent on achieving this balance. And I think it's at the expense sometimes of our own personal enjoyment. I think it's at the expense of the businesses that we work in. And I think it's okay to give of yourself over to your career and over to your work. Um, Particularly when you're younger you know like you've got so much time to balance and you know these are the earning years these are the years where 
you know, you guys don't have kids and if you want them or, you, you know, that's in your plan, that that's great and that'll take you away from your work. But for, for now, you should be going for it. Like, mm. you, seriously, life is so short and I just, I mean, I went really, really, really hard in my 20s, but I'm sure I could have even gone harder. Because... <laughs> do people are going to think of that and have, like, conviction? <laughs> but I wonder if it's because people see success like people might look at the success of business chicks and the success of everything that you've done and they kind of want to have it all they want to be able to know that they could get the same that they could emulate your success but also have a social life and a really fulfilling social life too Mm. do you think it's just not possible that like sacrifice needs to come in huge ways i mean i i'm yet to meet a really successful human who's been able to have all of those things something has to give it's just um i mean and i spent the last honestly 20 years studying successful people and meeting them and getting to hang out with them and no one has been able to do that you know it's something has to give and for me and I write about in the book it's I just I'm not I have a bunch of like 10 girlfriends maximum that I give my time to and I ebb and flow in those friendships and sometimes I'm great sometimes I'm not and I, I work and I'm with my family like that's it. You associate with lots of really successful people. Richard Branson is one of them. Is there a thread between them that you see? Is there one quality that really successful people have that's kind of like a trend? Yes. No brainer. It's just self-belief. It's just this um, thing that sits in the pit of your stomach of saying, I can do this. I do not have a clue how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to try. And if you look at any successful person who you know writes books or speaks or whatever success looks like to you, you will find that what's behind that is somewhere in them. They have had a conversation with themselves to say, this is possible and I'm, I'm going to make it be me. Do you think you can teach yourself that? I think you can. I yeah. think you can. I think confidence is about practice and it's about experience and it's about going deeper than the surface and it's like I said to you before it's about talking and it's about constantly developing yourself and it's about putting yourself in uncomfortable situations and constantly educating yourself and you know meeting new people and and just getting outside of whatever your construct of day-to-day is Mm. so I yeah I absolutely think it's possible. Quite early in this interview, you said that you really value sleep. You also said that you don't read a lot of media. Can I ask you about both of those things? First yeah. of all, how do you stay sane? Because you would be working a lot. How many hours a week do you think? Can you even quantify oh, I don't know, that? Babe. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know. I work a lot. See, your mind ticking over me like, don't make me do the math. Like, how many hours are there <laughs> I know, a week? I know. But it's like, I don't, I don't ever do that equation. It's like I, I think, okay, my work starts now. My mm. work finishes now. It's like it's just all kind of working and it, it's, you know, not one or the other, but carry on. Bleeds into everything, I guess. Yeah. Why the no media thing, first of all? Is there a reason you don't like to yeah. consume a lot of media? Yeah. I mean, media is different to what it was 20 years ago, but I just found um, – you know, so if you're going to like 20 years ago, right? If you're going to spend 20 minutes reading the paper, um, which the stories and the news is probably going to change the next day, to me that's not a really great 20 minutes well spent. You know, I'm not really learning anything because it comes and goes so quickly. Mm. So for me, there wasn't a huge value in that, and I think there's a value in being a little bit insular. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a world view. I'm not saying you shouldn't educate yourself, but also if you you have a finite amount of time so I've never watched TV I mean I've watched bits and pieces but I've never been someone to come home from work flop on the couch and watch TV like that to me is a complete waste of time and I get it's a zone out for a lot of people and that's fantastic but for me I can find better ways to and I'm probably a total dag but you know I'll check like I am a total dag <laughs> go on say, tell us no, no, I'm <laughs> waiting for this like now. I'm mad like I, I have all these stockbroking apps and I'm check. I know it's super daggy <laughs> good but, for the mind but it's like great <laughs> yeah, but I don't know I just I just um you know, it's like I've always tried to spend my time on activities that are going to better 
myself or my situation. Um, and, you know, so let's say that's mental health. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I grew up reading book after book after book after book after book, and that's a really great um, way for me to decompress and, you know, unravel. But, yeah, I know the media thing, I just I couldn't see a massive amount of, of value. Well, there's um, really quite a prominent school of thought. I can't remember the psychologist's name now that it comes to me that – consuming a lot of news media is kind of like junk food for the brain and right. it doesn't really help you it doesn't help your worldview very much right. it really fills your brain with a whole lot of terror number yeah, one yeah. and things that change anyway whereas it's a lot more beneficial to the human mind to read a lot of philosophy and things yeah. that are long term that still yeah. give you a worldview but not in such a snack bite way yeah i couldn't agree more i think that's great and i think i mean we all know like it's most of the news stories are negative <laughs> they're about cleaning products they're about <laughs> barbie and like what, what am i gonna learn from that like it, i mean it makes someone feel good that there's a that someone is doing worse than them i think that's that's a human condition that we have but ultimately Mm -hmm. it doesn't move the game forward and fill you with positivity so that was just always my my philosophy you know Mm -hmm. that was the way i played it and the you said that you see a therapist and a life coach was it every week why is that uh i think it's super important to talk about your stuff i think of myself as like a kind of lifetime seeker and I really do try and not kind of live at the surface and I do try and go deeper and hey why am I doing that what why why did I react that way why is this still hurting me why am I in pain here why you know I question everything I don't just kind of go okay that happened move on I'm like I'm very I'm a very deep thinker in terms of that so and also I think the the role of an entrepreneur can be super lonely you know you're leading people and your job is to be there to inspire people and to hold a space for people to be better and to be that role model and that's a really can be a really uh, heavy job so yeah I mean I've always had I mean we we call it a coach but it's a therapist you know like I mean you, you start off talking about your business problems but really it's just all about you know how you um you know what what you believe in and and what your wounds are from your like your family of origins like I find it really <laughs> super interesting and some of the threads they pick up from like your childhood like, how like, do you know that it's crazy <laughs> it's crazy but it it's all um it's all worthwhile mm-hmm. and it all has a lot of weight and it's really important to kind of delve into that and so much of what I've learned through therapy or through talking with a coach um you know it's about changing the story from your childhood and it doesn't matter if I'm, I don't know anything about your childhoods but I had a really fantastic um affirming childhood i my parents are still together and i have a close relationship with both of them doesn't matter and i know my kids are going to be effed up in a little way even though they've got every you know they they have they're living their best childhood and it doesn't matter this is the this is the human way right so it's how do we change the stories that we developed in childhood to be better? You know, how do we change our money story? How do we change the story that, you know, if we were told we weren't good enough? And it's important to, to go deep on that stuff and mm. to really talk about it. And for me, mental health is, um, and probably a lot of your fit listeners will disagree, but it's like mental health is so important these days. And it, it, it's something you have to work at. Like I'm a super positive person and it's I'm an optimistic and I'm, yeah, it's an investment in yourself. And I always, I mean, I see it in my calendar every week. I'm like, oh, God, I don't have time to do this. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be vulnerable today. I can't be bothered. And then I do it and I feel so much better for it and I learn something. And mm. We've spoken a lot about your professional life, but I wanted to ask a couple of questions about you outside of work. For one, 
<laughs> this is going to sound like such a stupid question. For one, you're, you you have five children and it's such a staggering amount of children these days. Like five children is a lot of children. What do you love so much about kids and babies that oh, makes no, you want to have kids and babies? You don't. <laughs> no. You don't just, really? <laughs> I mean, I don't. I, I don't. I, I mean, I love mine. And they're, <laughs> the they're, they're awesome. But it's, yeah, totally. It's not like I never, ever, <laughs> I think if I did not have children, that would have been okay as well. Like yeah, I, I, didn't, I, I don't have this massive maternal drive to, but it, it kind of just, you know, like my husband and I met, we got married, I felt pregnant, oops, um, had the first one, I was like, this is super cool. And it's just, it's just a really cool way to learn about yourself and to challenge yourself and to, I don't know, like my whole reason for being on this planet is to enrich the lives of others and to make life better for people. And I hope I can express myself through my business in doing that and I'm able to express myself through my home with my five little guys. One of your children, is Millie your oldest? Yeah. And when she was four, she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, is that right? What was that experience like as a a mother and a young one too, trying to navigate that? Does that change your perspective on everything? It did, yeah. It totally did. I mean, it's it's the call that you never expect. It's everything that you would you would kind of think and it's and you people will tell you about it and you if you go through that you do get to meet a lot of people who um, you know, in the in the hospital system and people who have had much worse circumstances than your own. Of course it changed everything. It made us recalibrate every one of our priorities. It made us look at life very, very differently. Um, I'm a little I feel a little bit disconnected from the experience now, just not just because of time. I mean it was six years ago now and it certainly does come up from time to time. You know, there is a part of me that you know, has some resentment that that happened, but um, ultimately it's only enriched our lives. And and you know, I, I know that sounds really kind of twee to say that. And I don't I don't mean that, but um, it was it was a gift to us to kind of bring us back to what was important. And um, yeah, just I mean, I have a, gr- a huge amount of gratitude for every single day. Does that shift in perspective kind of wear off after a little bit? Like no. it's been five years. Like no, is no, it ingrained? It it's ingrained. It's, it's completely embedded in the culture of our family now. It comes up. We have photos of Miller on the wall with no hair, you know, we and we talk about it constantly and we remind ourselves all the time. No, it doesn't – I mean, when I said I've dis- disconnected, I'm disconnected from the pain because I, again, went deep and talked about it a lot and we healed as a family and we worked on it. Um, it wasn't as if I just shut the door. Um, but yeah, it's completely part of our family's fabric and our culture and, and who we are. Did an experience like that help you tap into some kind of spirituality? You said before that you believe in something higher, but that's yep. not necessarily a church or a specific religion. Are yep. you a spiritual person? 100%. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's such a complex um, topic, but I'm deeply spiritual, you know, and, and it's hard to define that. I mean, for me, it's not church or the you know the middle part between us as humans and the whatever you attach to as a greater being but yeah I'm I mean I've definitely always been seeking something and searching and doing Reiki and I don't know like just doing new stuff like going to health retreats and you know again therapy and going for colonics is that too much it's how do how do you um yeah how do you how, how do you go deeper how do you have a deep, deeper conversation how do you be part of igniting that in other people as well so I'm not someone to have a conversation just sit at the service and house things and have a little bitch and a go- I just, I, that to me is not where it's at so mm. it's probably why I've gotten to a point where I only have a really core group of girlfriends who are all willing to hold each other accountable and I just don't know any people that like would go for a I don't go for wines and just 
natter. Like that's not who I am. It's like I'm here to have an experience that is a lot more meaningful and I want to make an impact and I want to change things and, and you can't have that if you just kind of hover at the surface. Seems like you never want to waste a minute. Like every minute yeah. needs to have value for you. Is that right? 100%. I, yeah. Like my biggest thing is wasting time. I'm like, yeah. are we... What, like, <laughs> I hope this last <laughs> 20 minutes. Like, oh my God, have we just wasted the last 25 minutes of Memorize no, 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 Act's time? <laughs> no, 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 but it's true. Like I, I, my, my worst thing is to finish day and feel like I haven't accomplished something. It's not about like having a to-do list and getting through stuff, but it's like, did I live a lot? Like, did I pack a lot of living into that today? You know, and um, we're in the US summer right now of that extraordinary, I think it's 10 weeks of school break. And I'm just like every single day, like how can I get these kids to be having a great experience of life? And it's not Disneyland and whatever, but it's like, what can they learn? Like I'm like, I'm mom really hard. Like I have reading logs for all of them and like I have their sight words on the kitchen wall. And like, I, I, re- I give it my all, you know, in every moment. And I really, and it's not to say I'm perfect. Like I, I there's m- many, 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 many moments where I'm like, how do I outsource like two or three of them right now how do I, I get through the day <laughs> how do I get through the day how do I get rid of one of them how do I that happens all the time but I I do I really I've, I've got this um yeah kind of not not elevated but one of my strengths is to be a bit futuristic and so I, I know I'm going to be like 60 in five minutes and my kids are going to be <laughs> like not five minutes no but it's, it, that is and your yeah, kids give you a perspective on time it, mm, it totally. does you don't know about time until you start having kids and you're like she was literally just born yeah. and now she's 10. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I want to be able to use every single moment and like, we've got to go. We've got to, mm. we've got to get shit done. We do. All of that in mind, what does success look like to you? We finish every interview with the same oh question. God. And what is it for you? I'm really glad you didn't ask me, um, what advice would you give to your 20 year old? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't finish with that. Um, what was the question? <laughs> it's just like so much relief. I'm not even success. listening. <laughs> What does success look like? Yeah, I mean, success is about being able to put your head on the pillow at night and be really proud of who you are as a person. It's less about what you do and less about the work you do, but it's who you are as a person and how you show up in the world and who you are to other people. That's what success is to me. Emma, thank you so much for joining us. I hope this was a 43 minutes well spent. <laughs> like, be having like a freak out after this thing. Like, and how much value would you put on that time? What is the ROI? <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Emma Isaacs. For more from Emma, you can find her on Instagram at Emma Isaacs. As for us, we're at Shameless Podcast. We will be back in your ears on Monday. Bye, guys.